If I told you I had a story needing to be heard, would you tell it? Better yet, if you knew your story could help someone else, would you share it? Today, my guest is Thomas McGrath. He's got a few things within his story. Not only does he have 33 years of sobriety, he was homeless twice. He was diagnosed with bipolar and epileptic, but I also want to say that he served in our U.S. Coast Guard. Hi, I'm Christine Hatches, and I believe everyone has a story, just like our fingerprints, that put us on the journey of our lives, some call it purpose. I believe every story can help, heal, inspire, educate, and my one big word, give hope. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning. And you're you're in Mississippi. That's correct. You have a little bit of a, you probably don't think you have an accent, but anyone that's where I'm at. I'm originally, I'm originally from North Central New Hampshire. Okay, that's where it comes from. Now you said it, now I hear it more clear. <laughs> First off, I want to say thank you for serving in the U.S. Coast Guard. We uh, just talked a little bit about it off of the recording here, and I wasn't familiar with what the Coast Guard, Coast Guard does. Um, and uh, so share with us, uh, our listeners what actually the Coast Guard is. Well, when I was in the Coast Guard, we were essentially a customs, search and rescue, and maritime safety okay. service. Okay. But at, but in case of time of war, the Coast Guard can be transferred, or certain units of it can be transferred into the Navy. And I happened to serve during peacetime. Peacetime. So for those and of us who are kind of young, what is peacetime? Peacetime is was defined as from a period of time in 1976 into 1990. Okay, where there was, where no, there was no, no declared conflicts. Okay, that makes sense. And originally in the Coast Guard, I was what they call a seaman. I worked in, on the decks on a law enforcement cutter. Then I became a health service technician. And you did this in for which, many years? Uh, I, I was in for 13, almost 13 years. Okay, okay. And uh, you have a couple of different things that are about your story and your journey of your life. I, I believe some have multiple, as I have learned, and then there are some people who have just that one significant one that has changed their life forever that puts them where they're at today. You had mentioned you have 33 years of sobriety. Congratulations. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And... Um, you know, I don't know if this is a proper question to ask because, you know, we start out, we're all young at one time and we all do some foolish things. We get caught up in these scenarios with partying and friends and some of us have things happen to us in our lives where we find something that takes away our pain, which would be alcohol, drugs, or whatever the choices that is hurtful, not just to yourself, but others. But when you, when you mentioned 33 years of sobriety, did this come from something that you were an alcoholic because of something that happened in your life, or what, what's the story? Basically, what happened was is that I used drinking and able to work. In other words, coping skill. Mm -hmm. Because during my time as a hospital corpsman, which became health service technician, I worked by myself for five and a half years. Okay which means I didn't have a doctor or a nurse on the unit. I was the doctor. Mm 
with the alcohol. Right. So and you, unfortunately, looking, unfortunately, looking back on it, every unit I chose was a unit that I could drink better and more often. Oh, wow. Okay. In other words, I was stationed in Alaska for a year on a 26-man station and a year in Italy. Oh, wow. Okay. And so it was your environment? Well, no, it wasn't that. It was also as a coping skill, peer pressure. But what happened was is I became more, more into I need to save my patients and I didn't care about my own life. And as a result, what I will honestly say, I lost the understanding of a power greater than myself, which I call God. Understood completely. So I went spiritually bankrupt first. I have not heard that spiritually bankrupt. I I, I like that. Um, right. I went spiritually bankrupt first. Mm-hmm. Second thing that happened is I became a. Uh, distant from people i just tend to be a loner but at the same time i would continue playing my sports because i used to play rugby soccer run marathons and i was one of those olympic style race walkers with a funny wiggle (laughs) (laughs) well i'm being on that's what i used to do i played sports so it kept you healthy at the same time you were putting something else in your body wasn't well I was managed to do it and I was pretty competitive (laughs) I'm a little competitive myself but I've learned to not be so competitive on some things (laughs) it's more being competitive with myself now see I drank for only some people laugh but I only drank for a period of nine years but the last six months I came to the point where I didn't know if I was coming or going I was making decisions that were could be questionable and basically, I didn't care. I got to a point where I was uh, burnt out in medicine because the field that I worked in, not only did I do the clinical part, I also took care of pest control, safety. And it became started becoming overwhelming. But what really brought me to my knees is I got married to another fellow drinker. And life just fell apart. And she's now since divorced. But then I struggled for almost two years in sobriety. I didn't want to hear any suggestions. I didn't want to take any orders. And as a result, I'm not sure if you know about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It describes certain types of drunks. I'm one of those that caught it before the trouble hit while I was drinking. Okay. All the repercussions came after I stopped. After you stopped? Yes. Now, when you say repercussions, you're talking talking about health-wise or family-wise, life-wise? Financially. Second of all, it was judgment. Third, it was... The physical came in. Because when I uh, quit drinking, to me, lunch, breakfast, and lunch was junk food and beer during my last six months. Can I ask how old you were? Whatever I could, whatever I could hold down. 
<clears throat> and then, as I said, I did not want to listen to suggestions. Okay. So it's basically what they call the dry drunk. I put my, I didn't start sobriety yet or recovery because I wouldn't listen to, I needed to surrender, give up my best friend, which was the bottle. And how can I put this? It got to the point where that I didn't know if I was coming and going. Mm. Whether I should stand up for myself or not. And during this time frame, as a result, they realized that uh, there was something wrong because I did during the first two years of sobriety attempt suicide. Really? Yes, because I was fed up, didn't get things my way. And at that time, I was admitted into hospital and they found out that I was most likely bipolar. Because I I went into a manic so deep that I was able to draw a rose petal for petal and vein for vein, and I can't draw now. <laughs> I don't mean to be laughing, but it's, you know, you and I can... No, it, no, I can laugh at my own. Okay, good. <laughs> never want to mean, I never mean to be disrespectful, have ill intentions in any, any way, shape, or form. But so they, so that was, uh, was that your turning point then, is when you were diagnosed with... That's basically when I said that, I got to listen to these people, listen to people. And the other thing is, is I'm the oldest of 14 kids, so taking orders wasn't too. My parents were loving and caring in my mind, but I was also the babysitter from hell and used to be in charge of things. So I didn't like no longer being in charge of anything. You said so you're the youngest. First, you're the youngest. I'm the oldest of 14. I'm the oldest of 14. 14. I thought that's what you said. I need to just ask so I made sure I heard you correctly. <laughs> right. So what happened was, was after I was honorably discharged from the Coast Guard, I didn't have the courage to tell my parents I was sobering up. So I basically lived out of my car and bouncing from friend to friend's place in AA for three years in Boston. Okay. And... As the years progressed, I realized that I needed to write about myself. And the reason being is that I like to keep things in too much. We are guilty. I am more than willing to tell people what's happening on, but I used to speak to push people away, not to get them to know me. Interesting. Because since, and I'll give, well, best way to say how I work. After I got out of the Coast Guard, I worked whatever job I could get because I was labeled a general laborer from sheet metal to construction. Okay. And then somewhere around, I got to think of my head, the seventh year of sobriety, I was able to go back to college. So I tried the university and I wasn't able to comprehend that's an electric course. So they found out that the medication I was on was not what I was supposed to be on. Another doctor determined that I was having seizures. And basically the type of seizures was uh, at the beginning was petite mall, just one side, and blank stare seizures. Basically what three, four-year-olds do uh-huh. when their brain gets overloaded. Yeah. 
And once that, that was the hardest thing in my life was to adapt to being an epileptic. Not to the fact that I can't drink anymore. Uh-huh. That doesn't bother me, being around people. The drink doesn't bother me as a whole. But it was trying to get used to being an epileptic. Well, somewhere <laughs> along the line 20 years ago, I did get divorced and had a real nice friend in my life. We never got married, but I became a dad, first time dad of twins. Wow. <laughs> One of each. And they were my angels. They're the ones that brought me up even further to the point where I decided to go back to school again. And I ended up going for a building construction degree. Wow. Then ended up working for AmeriCorps and Habitat for Humanity. Wow. And then reaching out to help others help themselves up got me even to the point to the point where the seizures came back. I was down here in Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina. And it lasted for three and a half years before I decided I had to go homeless again. You had to go homeless again. Because, now you have a family. Right, because I could because, no, we weren't together. The children and their mother were in North Carolina. I was in Mississippi. Okay. And as a result, the best thing I did after I was told I couldn't find a job wasn't because of seizures, because of seizure medications I was on. I ended up, as I said, homeless. And during that period, as compared to the first time, I didn't have a vehicle. So walking around, taking the buses. And when I did get help, I ended up in a shelter in Pensacola, Florida. And while I was there, life started changing because it was a church-based shelter. And that's what I needed. I needed to get structure back in my life. And the only thing I didn't like during that period of time was that the income I had, two-thirds of it, was what I owed for child support. So during the whole time, my second time being homeless, I preferred to pay the child support than helping myself. Understood. And then finally, after 15 months, I got the courage at 50-something years old to go back to my dad's house. And when I went back, all I was told is I had to have my own spending money, and if I needed a ride around, it was on his schedule. And that he wanted me to keep going to meetings. And you're in your 50s at this time. Right. That was 10 years ago. Okay. 10 years ago, I was homeless. Mm -hmm. Then I went back to, had the luck of being sent back to school again for rehab. And I went into health management. But during this time, actually it was 2006 up into three years ago, I had lost my license voluntarily because I couldn't trust myself driving. Okay. And I had the opportunity to come back down here to Mississippi because the other thing I didn't tell you is that during this time I did substitute another addiction for the alcohol. Okay. And that was gambling. 
Gamp. Ah, I have some friends who love to Which do it. I haven't gambled or been in a casino in seven years. And there's 11 within 12 miles of me. Oh. Five of them, and five of them within three. <gasps> wow. So none of that bothers you? doesn't tempt you? No. Good. Good. Just like you talked about the other. So what I do... So what I do now, busy, to keep myself so I don't get erratic and thinking or get to the point where I'm overwhelmed because I'm one of those fortunate ones that can sense the seizures coming on. Okay. That I do a lot of gardening. Very therapeutic. Right. But I, this is funny. I live in a split-level, one-bedroom apartment. And I took over almost all the green space because, as I told the landlord, I was sick and tired of the dust and weeds. Okay. And now I'm the gardener. <laughs> and it keeps me, out of, keeps me out of trouble. And keeps you healthy in the mind, for sure. Right, as long as I keep busy. You know. But when I said when I was spiritually bankrupt, it was the point where... As I said, I didn't care about myself anymore. I cared about whoever was under my charge. That I didn't see myself slip. You have to, to be point, We have to hold right, ourselves accountable. To the point where it had to be pointed out to me that when the alcohol, when I went into recovery, that I was wearing, I'll be honest, size 36 pants when I should have been wearing size 33. I had lost that much weight. But today, I am very aware of what goes around me. Okay. I understand what's going around me. But I still have those moments of not wanting a drink, but acting out the same way as if I was drinking. You'll have to explain that to me. In other me. words, it's a constant struggle. Uh, saying what's on my mind and not holding it back. Okay. I have a problem that whatever comes first comes out. In other words, uh, that was from how I was brought up. You say whatever's on your mind <laughs> and then you step away and then you go back and apologize if you see if you're wrong. And that's what I incorporated in my life. Can I tell you it's okay for us to be wrong? I don't know where we learned to, to you've said a few different things, you know, embarrassment, shame, being like we did something that we don't want anyone else to know, so we just assume not say it, just kind of hide it under the rug. Uh, shame, I don't know why we have such a problem with it. If we recognize what the problem is, and as you have mentioned on a different, on several different occasions in our conversation, you acknowledge a lot of things that surround you now, and you know what your limitations and what temptations not to be around. Right. Wow. So you are spiritually full now, not spiritually bankrupt. No, I I'm still on that spiritual journey journey, where I still question things at times. I think we all do. But to me. The hardest things men just living in today. 
And that is exactly what I For instance, living in today, I'm already planning to end of August because I found out that my son is getting married at the end of August. And there was a period of time I didn't see him, my son or daughter, for 11 years. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Difference between me and their so, mother. So you've made a But man. now that, yes, actually my son understands better than my daughter, but hopefully I'm being 21, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm just looking ahead because where I'm at, to me, I really don't need a vehicle. There's a city bus. I could walk. I got friends to help. But at the same time, well, what's going on today is I'm saying, okay, how can I save up the money? I'm projecting. But what I've learned is, is that I can't expect an outcome. Well, we can only every time I do that, I set myself up for a fall. And that's where we need to write down the goals, the expectations right. of ourselves, not of other people, and um, and achieve them. That's all you can do. We're not we're not going to be saved, and we're not going to have these things just just appear because we want them to appear because that's the way we want it to be. As you've mentioned earlier, you didn't like certain things that didn't go your way, as you found out the long way and the hard way that. You just kind of have to figure out that that's not always the case. You're not always going to get what you want. Right. And when you asked earlier about what did I think that I drank too much and started bringing me to the knees was that uh, five friends of mine were on a helicopter and it went down. <gasps> I am so sorry. And I remember being hungover enough and drinking that I couldn't go to the memorial or watch the service from a hill above it. And don't hold that uh, as okay. a kid. No, I was originally supposed to have been on a helicopter. I was going to ask that. Yes. Instead, I was on a different flight. <laughs> and it hit me hard. Of course. And then working on search and rescue and picking people up out of the water, that happened once and that hit me hard too. And when you were doing that with the Coast Guard, it was more of people you didn't know, so there wasn't that attachment. Even though you had the empathy and knowing that this was someone's loved one, obviously you had to recover. Um, right now you have a whole different thing that got put into your life of five individuals and I don't know if this makes sense but the other part of me is that I loved the idea of having responsibility but I hated it at the same time <laughs> I laugh because I know what that means <laughs> yeah. I, I do know what that means and when you're working with 26 people or a hundred people and you're the only medically trained person that kind of ate at me too. You've had a lot of uh, life lessons along your journey. Yes. You and what got me originally started in medicine is I worked in the field of research hematology during my summer months in high school. High school, the years that I worked in leukemia. Re yeah, I worked in leukemia research and I wanted to be a veterinarian eventually. But now, 
I realized that I, I walked away from medicine because even today, 33 years later, if I went back, I honestly thought I'd be drinking again within a year. Because At least you're I'm aware. Of, right, because I'm one of those who go from empathetic to sympathetic in a heartbeat. Yeah, I cry very easily. I'm very uh, yeah. empathic. Um, my last question for you, with all that you have shared, a lot of stuff you have been through for certain, and you're still sitting here through it all, through the tragedies, through your own trials, um, through your health, um, my final question is, what message do you want to leave our listeners based on either your journey of your walk of life or just about life in general? That you're not always the only one as most of us get in the trap of being that this has happened to, that there are other people that can show you different ways of how to overcome the difficulties but that you also have to watch out and realize that there are some people that will lead you the wrong way. And that's when you got to start using your own, as the term seems to be lacking common sense and trying to filter out who the right ones are and who the wrong ones are. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, it's not forming a click, but it's forming a basis that no matter where you go or decide to move to, that you have no problems whatsoever going to a self-help group or talking to a new doctor. You said, in other words, keep hope. Hence the reason for my show, Stories of Hope. And um, for years, because I've got my own things I've gone through, and uh, I've gone through a journey of a lot of self-help, and I chose that, not because of choices I made that were bad, but things that had happened in my life that I wanted to figure out how I could be a better person from those situations or those feelings that I had going along with. So self-help is great. And to say that you need help is always a, a first step to healing in anything in our lives, as you've already mentioned on, on several different occasions. So thank yeah. you for that message. And thank you, Thomas, for sharing your journey of your, your story that puts you through a lot of uh, hills and valleys. Yeah. All right. And there always What's that? There always will be pits and valleys and hills to carry. The things that we're not told uh, until we get a little bit older to have gone through a few of our own. And then we become those wise, wise individuals uh, that we want to share that with our, our younger folks. But then they've got to go through their own too, right? Because they're not going to believe someone else if they haven't walked through it themselves. Wonderful. Thank you again for sharing your story to help, to heal, to inspire, and of course, you said it a few times, give hope. To my listeners, I thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you are notified about the next great story, because these truly are getting better and better. Why? Because they're your stories, unedited. We're not celebrities. We may not write a book. We may not even be on the cover of a magazine, but our stories are important to help someone else one day at a time. If you'd like to share your story, know someone who wants to share their story, you can also be anonymous. You don't have to have your name attached to a story to help yourself or to help someone else. And if you want to be a sponsor, also, you can email me to the address of Christine with a CH at storiesofhope.com. And that's stories with a Y. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.